Well, hey, welcome to tonight's show. Sorry about that. I was, I don't know what I was thinking. Anyway, welcome. It's a hot Monday. I think spring's over in Sacramento. So we had our last spring stuff last week and now, boom, here we are in the middle of summer. It was 90 degrees today. I'm outside working in the yard like the fool that I am and not realizing, you know, uh, the, the weather channel had said it's going to be 90 or 85. And so I'm out there thinking, you know, it's early enough to be at, be outside and I couldn't believe how hot I was and now that the temperature jumped to 90 I can see why because it was probably already 87 89 when I was out there anyway welcome to the show tonight uh it's an interesting night just a quick warning Xfinity's internet has been in and out all day there's areas in Sacramento that are completely out so if you suddenly lose me that's why and let me let me set up the chat room here just in case someone's in chat but if you suddenly lose me that's why Xfinity you know has disappeared on me. So, uh, Cadridge just emailed me, said he was ready to go. And, uh, my name is Charlotte and I'm your host. And what I'm going to do right now, I'll take a quick break, take a quick stop. I got my phone. I want to make sure he gets a link to the show to make sure he can get in. And then I usually don't do this on the air, but, um, just bear with me this time. Sometimes because I send these things three or four days in advance, they get lost in the mail, so to speak, if you know what I mean. So, let me copy this over and get this out to Cadridge. Make sure he's got the link. Um, unless he wanted to come on on the phone, which he didn't say. So let me do this real quick and send it off to him. Aren't cell phones great? Let's see, link to show. You can hear my dog in the background. I have a set dog that just turned 17 years old today. There we go. I have a dog that just turned 17, so she she's still uh, together, kind of together. Sometimes she isn't, so she might come down to the door because she knows I'm in here working because I work in here at night, too. She might come down to the door and you might hear her barking at me. That's her way of telling me she doesn't want me in here, so just bear with it. That's what she does, so she'll bark. Um, anyway, my name is Charlotte. I am the owner of the California. There he is. Yay! I am the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team. We're based out of Sacramento, but we do have branches up and down the state of California, Oregon, Washington, and one in Hawaii, believe it or not. But anyway, um, it's great to be here, and uh, I'm glad you're all here. And tonight, we're going to have, I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to mispronounce this gentleman's first name, so I'm going to say Mr. Olson. Mr. Olson is on. He didn't make it the last time he was supposed to be on because of technical difficulties, but he's on tonight. So uh, we've got him with us. And so um, I got some announcements to make as well, um, really quick before we start. 
I have designed some California Haunts radio t-shirts. And for those of you that loyal listeners on here who send me ideas for radio show guests that I'm able to do on the air. And if I do, and, and if I get them on the air, I'll send you a t-shirt. How's that sound? They're really cool t-shirts. I should have, uh, I should have a couple prototypes uh, by the first of the months that you guys can take a look at and I'll show them to you on air. And what I'll do is I'll, hold on to them and you'll see them when the show starts I'll, and I'll, I'll announce that this is a you know a listener request show and i'll show it to you and i'll put it right on my lap so you know so it's kind of like i wore it i don't wear a shirt and send it to you Blah. but uh then you can see it know that it was actually on the air and everything and then after the show airs i will send it to you so that's kind of a cool plus anyway without further ado let's get our guest on hello sir hey i'm great to be here how are you I'm just excited to have you on. Excellent. I apologize for last time, but I'm glad we can make it this time. Thank you so much for that. No problem. How's the weather in your neck of the woods? It's getting sunny and warm. Today was like 75, and we just got through a bout of some rainy weather, but we're definitely going to be having like mid-70s to 80 this week. I'm jealous. (laughs) How is it there? We were doing mid-70s to 80s last week, and today was 90. So it started, that was the end of it, I think, for us. And we'll start going up into the hundreds here. Oh, man, I'm so. sorry. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> I want to move in with you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there soon. We've got another month and it'll be in the 90s to 100s here. There you go. Where, where do you live? I'm what just area? north of Denver in Colorado. Okay. okay. Beautiful views, too, man. Oh, yeah. Headed out towards Boulder from where I'm at. It's just the whole valley opens up before you and the mountains. It's extremely beautiful. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about yourself, sir. Well, I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> well, let's see. For I grew up in a house that was almost ridiculously haunted. You know, this is from childhood onward. I was born into this house. So you could set something down, turn around, it would disappear. Things would be moving right in front of you. I, I remember watching TV and literally seeing the dial change physically change while watching tv is insane and my parents yeah they're like okay that's just how it is here that's what our house is like and i'm like great so I, i learned to live with this at a very young age very young age but when i started having my own encounters when my parents realized i was actually communicating with these beings and having some discussions with them they said okay we need to go to this church, this other church, because at that time we think we were going to a Luther, we were going to a Lutheran church, and then we went to a place called the Temple of Harmony. It's a spiritualist church, and it's your typical Protestant church, but they end every session with chance, trance channeling, and there were seances every night. Wow. So I grew up with this, and my parents' basement was like a big library, everything from encyclopedias to books on magic and the occult. So I was well steeped in this. You know, you know, I hear all these stories about people growing up that they have the gifts, they have their psychic abilities, they want to explore magic, but their parents and their family, you know, shun them and shame them and cast them out and give them all sorts of problems. I wasn't like that. My mom would happily go to the metaphysical store and get me the the herbs and the candles that I needed to experiment with the spells. I would tell them, you know, here's such and such a person in the house, here's what's going on. And they'd be like, really? How do you know that? So my parents were totally cool with me exploring this. 
the downside to that one is since this was so natural and normal for me, I grew up thinking that everybody talked to these people. Everybody had this <laughs> communication ability. And then I would see like shows on TV with, you know, the paranormal investigator shows. And I'd be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? What, what is this? And I'm like, and it took me a little while to realize, no, I need to stop and start teaching what I know because there's a, a lot of stuff I don't agree with. I'm not going to say it's misinformation, but I'm going to say it's stuff I don't agree with that's out there. And I'd like to give people a better experience of what the paranormal is, that it's not really so scary and awful as we see in the TVs and the movies, that it's a much better place and it's a completely natural part of our world. Do you think that the TV show, I mean, that's a, I've noticed that was the cases that my group has handled, that it went from being, you know, like, I'll say like nine years ago, even it went from being Uncle Bob and cousin, cousin Harry in the, you know, in the house to, oh my God, it's a demon. I know it's a demon. Come out here and deal with it. It's a demon. Yeah. I'm not going to name any names, <laughs> but there's some famous people out there in the paranormal world. And my answer to what this experience is, is everything is a demon to a demonologist. And a lot of their work is good, but it, kind of peppered a lot of people out there they see you know the book fall off of the bookshelf <gasps> it's a demon mm -hmm. they see something move in the house or they get that cold spot and they're like <gasps> it's a demon and then it becomes a, a self-fulfilling prophecy because we create our own interaction with the paranormal we're creating the thought forms we're creating the poltergeist and then you know that belief that it's a demon starts to reinforce reinforce itself over and over and over again and then somebody like me comes in and it's like, okay, let's change the way you think. Let's change the way you're processing what this situation is and make it so much better. I'm sorry about the heavy breathing. That's my other dog. <laughs> when it gets hot, she gets like that. So you know, I've got a husky. I totally understand. <laughs> yeah, this has been interesting to me, you know, watching how people's attitudes have changed over the years. Like I said, you know, in the beginning when you went out, it was grandpa. You know, it was it was it was Aunt Helen or somebody when you went out. But now before you even go out, they're insisting it's a demon and you need to come out and deal with it and all this stuff. And it's just like when you try to tell people, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. We just can't go out and say it's a demon and go after it. We have to find out what we're dealing with first. That's exactly it. And I have gone into numerous people's home telling me, Here's what this thing is. Here's what it's doing. Here's the problem. Get rid of it. I come into the house and I'm like, no, you know, I, I, if, if there was maybe occasional times, something negative that was there, but not destructive or harmful. And I taught them how to remove this problem from their house. In the meantime, it's like, no, let's sit down and have a conversation with the spirits in the house. And let's really get to know that we see that, you know, it's Uncle Bob and and Aunt Harriet that's really here hanging out or if it's somebody passing by or there's so many other things it can be, but it's not a demon. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you 100% on that, 100%. Now, I understand that you studied a lot of the Nordic, a lot of the Nordic stuff. Tell me about that. That fascinates me, too. Absolutely. That was part of my growing up. Like I said, my parents' basement was so full of books, I could read about anything. And my favorite book, it's even on the bookshelf behind me, you can't see it here, but it's Secret Teachings of All Ages by Manly P. Hall. It's this massive 
tome-sized book where he's talking about the secret teachings of different mystery schools, from the Eleusinian Mysteries to the Odinic Brotherhood to the Masons and Rosicrucians. And I was fascinated by it that all of these different mystery schools were basically saying the same thing as each other. They were just using different words and different symbols. And so I said, okay, if I need to understand what this metaphysical esoteric world really is, I need a control group. I need to come to one system that I learned thoroughly that I can test everything against. Well, at that moment in my life, I was listening to some crazy music from England from a band called Sabbath. I was reading a book called The Way of Weird by Brian Bates. I had picked up my first set of runes from Ralph Blum, and all of these pieces fit into place, and I went, okay, fine. This is where I'm going to start exploring. And, you know, for me and the runes, we hit it off right off the bat like it was magical, like the runes sung to me right away. And so since I declared that was my primary paradigm, I dove into it. I did a deep study of the runes. I did a deep study of the literature, which there's a lot of primary Norse literature. I can translate the poetic Edda and the prose Edda, well, mostly on my own from Old Norse into modern English. And that gave me the interesting insight, being a metaphysician, being, you know, a cultist mm -hmm. and going back and looking at the original text in the original language, I saw how they hid things in their words that modern scholars just don't pick up. They do a great job of translating it, but they don't have that mystical mindset to understand what's going on. And I'm like, this is where I can come in. So I go through and I can translate the Old Norse text and I bring it to the modern time with a good understanding of the practical ways to use this stuff and, and really good ways that we can use it in the modern time. What makes um, the Norse uh, spirituality, uh, spirituality different than, say, a shaman? Well, there is a little bit of shamanism in the okay. Norse tradition. Okay. In one of the forms of magic in the Norse tradition is called savor. It's not quite shamanism, but you do reach an altered state of consciousness, you know, generally through music and drumming, so that you reach this place where you can connect with other worlds. You can travel to the different worlds to interact with different beings, just like shamanism. You can get into some of the healing arts doing this, and you can do prophecy. So that's a big part of the Norse tradition is sailor magic. That's interesting to me because I, want, I always wonder about that, you know, because you have the, Nor the Norse traditions and then there's the Celtic traditions as well. And then you got the, you got like, like we used to, we used to have a shaman on our team, you know, and a, even a witch, you know, <laughs> where we've had a wicked person on our team. So it's interesting to look at the differences in all that and, and see how, it, how it's done, like out in the field or even a Native American, you know, medicine man to go out with somebody like that. Oh, absolutely. And even in this, in this uh, field here, I I like to say that necromancy is a Norse practice because it's uh -huh. it's in the Norse lore, and of, of course, if we really look at what necromancy is, it's speaking to the dead. That, that's what that is. And so, in modern parlance, is that the right word? I don't know. In modern terms, necromancy is really a séance, or when you go into a haunted location and you're talking with the spirits. And so, I bring a little bit of the Norse practice in to that kind of work. You know, I use certain runes to open the, the veil, to, to build the connection, to make it a bit stronger. And I use some of the runes to help change the energies around us so that we're having a good experience and a, a safe experience. 
with whatever kind of entities could be around us. So I, I definitely bring runes and the Norse practice into the paranormal stuff. Interesting. Tell me about the runes now. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Is that similar to, to um, tarot cards? Or how, how do they work? Sort of. Runes as a divinatory tool is actually a modern invention. Okay. Runes were never used as divination in the old times. But what runes were at the most basic level, they are the written forms of the languages, the Proto-Norse and the Old Norse languages. These are the languages that evolved into modern day English, German, Swedish, Norwegian. So when you see runes like Isa or Rado, that's where we get the letter I and the letter R from. We get S and B and T from the runes. They're the exact same. They look the exact same way and they're pronounced the same way. If I were to show you a rune stone carved 2000 years ago with the word sister on it, you'd be able to read it perfectly without any help. It was the exact same word written the exact same, almost the exact same way and pronounced exact same way. But what makes runes unique is every single one of them has a meaning to it. Like the rune Fehu looks like the letter F. It has a sound of the letter F, but it means in the old, old times it meant cattle. And it definitely has connotations of wealth and riches and money. And in our modern times, I teach people it is your investment of time, effort, and energy. So if you're working on building a new business, Fehu is the capital that you're putting into the business. Fehu mm -hmm. is the time you're spending building your brand and your characteristics of what that whole business is about. So these runes at the very basic level are the written form of the language. But when we bring it up a notch... They are these inherent values that we still hold within us as something that we can use today, not in not only in a practical way, but in a very magical way to bring change in accordance to will. Very interesting. Now, I don't know if you um, had watched the, the show uh, Nosferatu when it was on the air. On Is that AMC? the guy driving around in the or car? Amy? Yeah, the guy driving around the car. The, 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 the one gal in there used to use runes. I didn't catch that part. Yeah, that was the thing. She she would use runes to see what was you know to see what was coming you know what was going to happen. I was just wondering if you had watched that to get your take on <laughs> how they portrayed that you know her her use of them. Uh, that part I can't comment, but what I can comment on is if you saw the movies Frozen, like Frozen One uh -huh. and Frozen Two, they Disney hired Jackson Crawford, who is head of the Scandinavian Studies Department here at University of Boulder. And he did the runes accurately in that movie, in those movies. Now, when you see a movie like uh, the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbits movies, mm -hmm. when you see the dwarvish writing, they are using runes, but they're not doing it correctly. They're not spelling out actual words. I mean, they're more for aesthetics. And, you know, somebody like me right. gets to watch that. I'll pause the movie. I'm like, ooh, what are of they course. saying? And I'll look at it. And I'm like, okay, unpause. Let's go back to having fun with it. <laughs> that's why I wanted to ask you about that because that, that, that was a focus of this, of this other gal that, you know, and, and, and every time she would do it, something would happen. She'd get real, you know, sick afterwards. Something would always happen. But anyway, um, yeah, that's, it's really interesting to me. So um, you, uh, so you work with runes. How, how you, how do you do that with your, I know you have a book out on it as well. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that with your clients? How do you teach people, do you teach people how to use them or what do you do? Yeah, in fact, one of the types of ways of working with clients that I'm really building out more, and mm -hmm. I'm realizing that the need 
need for this is, is I call it a power reading. It's where we sit for about an hour and a half. We talk about the challenges and the, the goals that my client wants to have. Mm -hmm. And I've got my set of runes. It's over on my altar here on the other side of the room. I got my set of runes and I'll break those out and I'll do some divination with runes, even though it's a modern concept. Um, it still works, still valuable. So I'll sit and I'll do some reading with the runes, talking back and forth to see if it makes sense with them. And then invariably, I'll get an idea of what runes to put together that we can use magically. So we first do it passively as a receptive tool to see what's going on in uh -huh. the world, what they need to do. And then I'll identify a few of the runes that will help them. And I'll put them together in what's called a bind rune. That's where you stack the runes on top of each other and you create a sigil. And every rune has a special sound to it. Like, you know, Fehu has that letter F, Uru's is an U sound, like the letter U. Uh -huh. And we'll create what's called Galdr. Galdr is an old Norse form of magic using runes. It, it's where runes are sung. And then we'll do a little bit of a ritual. We'll call in a deity if we need to, like, you know, Odin or Frere, any of the Norse gods we need to. And then we'll actually put these runes together as a, a magical formula to cast those energies out into the world so that they have this magic working for them. And if you were to catch my book, Runes for Transformation, we kind of do the same kind of thing. I, I'll tell you how to do a bit of a rune divination in there. And I'll talk about the runes in a few different ways. I'll talk about how the runes were what the ancestors saw the runes, you know, the old Norse people did. Mm -hmm. I'll, and I'll look at it as a modern concept. What do we do in the modern world with these runes? How do, what do they mean to us? And then I invite you to explore what that rune means to you. So like we talk about Fehu is about money and value and that sort of thing. I'll invite you to look at what is your Fehu? What is the value mm -hmm. you bring to the world? How do people see you? What is your, va what is your value system even? And then I will guide you through the process of creating a runic mantra. So you can put the runes together in a formula that we, we really do build a mantra, you know, like it is my will or I am doing this or I am achieving this. We really will create a, a mantra and then you put runes into that one so that you create the runic formula. Then you can go into your rune, your uh, ritual chamber and do some rune magic. So it's like completely comprehensive rune work in this book. That is really cool. That fascinates me because I've never seen uh, anybody work with runes except on TV or movies. Right. That would be yeah. fascinating to see. That would be really interesting to watch. You know, it's a difference. I mean, the closest thing I've come to runes is Mahjong tiles. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But I, I when I think of, it's funny. Yeah, when I think of the designs on runes, I think, oh, Mahjong tiles. But no, that's not right. And, and truthfully, we don't even need to do runes like that because I know exactly what we're talking about. They, they're on the little stones or the, the little chips of wood. Right, or, right, 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 right. And they have little, you know. Mm -hmm. there. The runes that I have are actually on long pointed sticks. Oh, They're the about ones. six, seven inches long. And when it comes to doing runes and magic, we'll put them down on a piece of paper or we'll paint them onto a stone or carve them into wood, that sort of thing. And so they don't need to be on those little tiles with those little pieces of stone. They're, they're letters. They're just like letters for what we do in English. And so sometimes I'll even, as part of the rune work, go back and look up old Icelandic words and we'll use power words based off of runes because it's a language. That's true. That's true. I've seen those though at the Celtic fairs. Okay. Those ones you're talking about. I've seen those. So I'm really fascinated by all this. Um, so you can take those runes and you can actually like, are you able to do like a daily reading with that too, to apply, kind of like a horoscope thing to, to apply to, your, to what you're doing that day? 
Absolutely. If you want to, you know, wake up in the morning, grab three runes out. And this is exactly one of the ways I teach people to work with runes. As you're familiarizing yourself with what the runes mean, like if you were to grab one, just as a start, as a beginner, grab one in the morning, look it up, look at what the book says it is, maybe look a couple of different books, and then spend some time contemplating what that rune means to you and write it down in your journal. And then go throughout your day and notice where that rune pops up, that runic energy pops up throughout your day. And then at the end of the day, write it in your journal. When you get to the, the point where you can pull two or three runes in the morning, pull two or three runes, write it down in your journal and be creative on how you were to look at that. So if you were to grab an individual rune, sure, it's its individual energy. But if you were to grab three runes, ask yourself, what would it mean if these three runes were one energy all by itself? Write that down in your journal and then go through your day and see how that complex energy manifests in your daily life and then go back and write it into your journal and that's a really great way of learning what the runes mean not only to the ancients but to you in your life today it's fascinating absolutely fascinating um have you can you tell me about um, any particular uh, rune readings that were really successful for you with people that, that people were really i don't want to say turned off you know what i mean we're real thrilled with oh let's see let me think if i have any uh -huh. popping off of the top of my head. I mean, I remember some years back, this is how eerily specific runes could get. Mm -hmm. I had a client sit down and ask if he should be moving and what he should be doing with his life. And I'm like, you thinking about going to Missouri? And he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, how do you see that in the runes? And I'm like, you know, I have to get a little bit of an explanation of what I saw in the runes and then how that gave me an intuitive hit that basically the runes were saying, show me, prove it to me. And I'm like, like the show me state. And so they kind of went through this little bird walking from what they were literally on the table to what they ended up being manifesting there. Uh, but for the most part, they're actually pretty generalized. And I have to admit to you that when I'm doing a rune reading, a lot of times I'm not there doing the reading. And this, this kind of confuses some people sometimes. I'll sit with the runes and we'll do the work. And then a half hour later, maybe they'll come back and go, hey, when you were doing that reading, what did you mean by this, that, and that, and this? And I'm like, I have no idea. I wasn't the one doing the reading. Uh, recently, I was in Salem with some friends of mine. And they wanted to see my runes. So I sat down with the runes. And as typical, something comes through. And we were in a bit of a public space. I won't talk about what we were coming through, but we were in a bit of a public space and whatever comes through has no filters. So you'll hear me cussing. You'll hear me growling. You'll hear me <laughs> saying all those weird stuff coming out. And I was just like, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, should we not talk about that here? And I'm like, what? <laughs> so we shut it down and went to our hotel room and we did some more work there that we, that came out very well. But I, if you were to ask me what it was about and what we were talking about, I don't know, but he found it very profound. He started to put it to use right away, got some great results out of it. In the meantime, all I could do is like, I'm sorry about what happened in the public setting, but that's just what happens when runes happen. Something just kicks inside and it just comes out and I have no control over what comes out. 
are you essentially are then are you channeling you know someone else to do these readings is that what's going on that happens a lot of the lot of the time i will put the runes out i'll set them down and as soon as i put my hand on it somebody comes through and even if i'm not doing rune readings with clients i do spirit readings where i'll open a black mirror because a black mirror is my favorite tool for working with seances Mm -hmm. And if they want to contact a loved one or if they have certain situations going on in their life, they want to amp up their spiritual working, which is a really good reason to do the spirit spirit working with me, the spirit reading, is we'll open up that black mirror and people just start talking. Things just start coming through. And it's sometimes it's like a channel, like I have no idea what I'm saying. And other times I'll be like, I have no idea what this is, but this is what they want to say to you. And this is what's coming through. And then... Other times it's just like weird messages that I just have, have to struggle to put words to, but it, it's always been relevant to them. Every one of my clients is sitting there, you know, with their jaw wide open going, wow, okay, I get it. This is great. The black mirror interests me because uh, we do ITC work with water, <laughs> you know, to have the faces come up and all that. How does mm -hmm. a black mirror work? It's a very similar concept. I don't do it with uh, scrying. Okay. But what it is for me is I use it as a portal to open to the other side as kind of a conduit to allow the spirits and the beings to come through, especially if they're higher level beings and ascended beings. This gives that that vehicle for them to come through. And the very nature that it's like a black mirror helps mm -hmm. to shift our visual perception from a 3D environment to a multidimensional environment. The colors that come through are vivid and bright but you'll never be able to name them because they're not colors that we recognize, but you can see them. You can see faces. You can see images. One of my favorite things that I love about being with a black mirror is I'll see somebody walking behind me in the mirror. You know, I can kind of see my face in the mirror and then there's suddenly something that moves behind me. I'll see orbs and little flashes of light. All that kind of stuff will happen, but it's really just kind of a, a conduit, a portal to let beings and entities through so we can exchange information and energy back and forth. That's interesting. Now, the other question I've been thinking of is, I know you started doing this when, when you were young. Mm -hmm. Obviously, a lot of people, you know, we all, we're all born with abilities. We just shut them off at some point and that's it. You know, you, then later on, you either have them or you don't. But um, were, were you afraid of it when you were young? I mean, were you afraid of anything negative coming through or anything like that? Oh, yeah. And in fact... One of the biggest lessons for me was in fear and how to deal with fear because fear creates thought forms and fear creates these, these beings, these little entities that we feed and continue our fear. So when I was seven years old, I, of course, I knew I lived in a haunted house. I knew there were ghosts there. I could hear the footsteps, the toilets flushing, all that stuff. But my parents took me to my grandmother's house to stay the night. The first time, actually, only time ever. And my older sister was with me, and she was 14, 15 years old. She's like seven years older than I am. And my grandmother had HBO back when it was like a dish on the roof of the house. We had HBO. <laughs> and my sister really wanted to watch The Exorcist. So here I am, seven years old, staying at my grandmother's house for the first time, going, oh after it was over it was bedtime yay i get to stay by myself in a dark room that i've never been in before ever so my brain is just replaying this movie over and over and over again 
And I made an agreement right then and there that I would not go to sleep unless I was fully cognizant of every state of mind that I was going through, every stage that my mind was doing as I was going to sleep, that I was very aware that the thoughts going through my head were self-generated thoughts and not external. And my sister said I was a zombie for days. But that was the agreement I made. And it took me years and years and years. This was my practice. I had a daily meditation practice of being aware of my consciousness, being aware of what were my thoughts, what were externally received information, and then being able to reject them. And then eventually I learned how to set up protective barriers and shift the energy in the room around me. And yeah, I was kind of always had that little bit of fear because my dreams from that point on, you know, if I had the reoccurring nightmare, it was Uh always me dealing with somebody who was doing the whole possession thing, the flop around in bed, (laughs) cussing and puking kind of thing. And then I took a course on spirit release therapy because I'm a certified transpersonal hypnotherapist. And I took a training on spirit release therapy. And I'm like, totally different take on possession and releasing spirits that completely stopped these nightmares all the way around. And working with the occult and the esoteric circles, you know, tapping into these quote unquote demonic entities mm-hmm. that are in classic demon demonology, you know, the, the 72 demons that are in the Goetia and that sort of right. thing were very powerful and loved and benevolent deities in the pre-Christian, pre-Semitic religions. Mm-hmm. They were ju- they were just demonized by Christianity and the other religions just so that, you know, this is with the old religion. So they've got to be evil because our religion is the only good one, obviously. And so encountering one of these entities, realizing it's thousands and thousands of years old, it's very powerful, it's very wise, and it has better things to do than get inside the body of a child, flop around, cuss, and puke. And it, it was like, from that moment on, I'm like, all right, I get it. This is, you know, just the stuff we see in the movie. So it took me a little while to finally work through that fear to get through that fear and realize what I was generating and creating myself. But it was so beneficial because it's one of the things I help to teach people and I help people get through all of this negative stuff and to go into a place where they can be safe and protected from paranormal things because they realize that they can create the experience for themselves rather than being a victim of it, which is what I learned over the years how to do on my own. That's a saying my dad always had too, was if you wish long enough and you hope long enough and you dwell on it long enough, your you know your dream will come true. I mean that's that that was his thing, and that wasn't about positive stuff. It was about negative stuff, but that's what he would say. And so yeah, yeah I, I've been able to apply that in, in in doing this kind of work as well. And also, you know, and I don't know if 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 you feel this way too, is that coming across a, a demand, you know, people like you watch all this stuff on TV, right? All this it's always a demon, but really, demon cases are really few and far between. Right. And what I've encountered, and this is going to probably shock some people, but I hope not. But what I've encountered is that there really is no difference between gods, angels, and demons. They are collectively created entities that we fuel with our belief. And these these things are called egregores. They can be everything from a deity serving over a religion, just as deities Mm -hmm. do. They could be the angelic messengers. And if you remember right, if you read the Bibles correctly, angels in the old time were kind of genocidal maniacs. They weren't peace, love, and light, happy, 
fun things. Right. They were horrid, awful things. And we do the same thing with demons. We tell these stories about these horrible, awful creatures coming to get us. And the more we believe it, the more people believe it, these things become very real. They're very much out there. To the tune, if we were to talk about like a haunted insane asylum, Mm-hmm. Yes, there were absolutely horrors that happened in those places. People died there under very horrific circumstances. There is a lot of bad negative energy in there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of fragmented souls that are wandering around in there. There's a lot of torment still happening in there. And the stories we tell about these places, the things that happened there, the paranormal experiences we have. And when somebody goes into this place and they encounter that dark demonic entity, Those are the stories that create that egregore of that insane asylum. And it is fueled by these stories, by our belief. And it's also fueled by the suffering and the torment that goes on in these places by the spirits. So you send a paranormal investigative team there. Yes, you're going to find those fragments of souls and spirits wandering around, reliving those tormented parts of their lives. But if you go and you try to clear that away, you're taking away kind of the food source. The, mm-hmm. the sustenance for this egregore. And you do not want to mess around with egregores. They are the big bag nasties. Those are the things that people swear up and down are the demons. And in essence, it is. And as an individual human being, we are not prepared, any single one of us, to deal with these things because we've got to change the collective belief in order for these things to starve off and die. And that's next to near impossible. As some of these beings have been around for 5,000, 6,000 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. You know, essentially they're feeding that off. I remember we did a, um, a residential case out in Woodland and uh, we got out there and the guy swore up and down that uh, it was a demon in the house. And I'm walking through the house and he's got nothing but re- religious icons all over the walls. And I looked at him and I said, I can tell you right now it's not a demon. And he goes, well, how do you figure? I said, you see all those things you got on the walls? If this was a demon, they wouldn't be there. Exactly. To start off. As it turned out, the guy um, had a tumor growing on one side of his brain. Oh. And a lot of it was poltergeist activity where he was having these thoughts and he would attack his kid. You know, just, just it was him causing it is what it came down to be. But trying to convince somebody who was that irrational that it wasn't demonic took a lot of work to do. A lot of work. That is one of, I think, the biggest challenges we have working with the paranormal is working with cultural bias. Mm -hmm. You know, people grew up in their communities insisting this is how the world works. This is exactly what is in the world. And their connection and their sense of belonging with those communities are tapped into what they need to believe and what they need to say. Otherwise, they'll be shamed and shunned, which they don't want to do. And when it comes to something going on in the house that is counter to the culture that they grew up in, we are going to be swimming upstream to try to re-educate them. So what I like to do is I give them little techniques to immediately mitigate the problem so it kind of proves to them that I know what I'm saying and that I can Mm -hmm. help them out. And as I try these techniques out, I give them a little bit more and a little bit more, and that helps me to open the door so I can to improve the education and I can help to rewrite their cultural belief in a way that still sits them in their community so they aren't cast out, but it gives them the help that they need. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, I was reading a little bit about the work you do on, on your website. You know, and it, how, how you even help paranormal teams, you know, with stuff and made, to get them to understand better, you know, 
when they go out in the field. It's taken years for my team. I've been doing this almost 20 years. It's taken years to get to the point that we're at to where we have the understanding to go out and talk and really talk to people and get to the root of what's going on and then try and deal with it. Just like we, you know, you get people all the time that want, want a blessing on the house. Mm-hmm. And I, and I go and I said, you know, we don't even know what we're dealing with yet. We can't just go out and do a blessing. It's not one size fits all. If it's Native American, we can't go out and do a Catholic blessing on a house if it's a Native American spirit. We have to physically go out with one of our sensitives and see, you know, who and what we're dealing with. Yep. That's exactly why I put that course together is I got to put my money where my mouth was because I have a good friend who is who works with one of these paranormal shows. I'm not sure if I should be dropping names or not, but she works with one of these paranormal shows as a psychic. And I'm was working together with her and a lead investigator from a team in new Orleans. And we're talking back and forth about some of these challenges. And I'm like, would it help if I put together a course for training paranormal investigators to keep safe? And both of them were emphatically, yes, these people need this. We need this badly. And I'm like, okay. So I put together some training and I gave it the training to the team in new Orleans and my friend. And they were just like, wow, they put it together. We're like, started using it right away and they gave me some immediate feedback like this place we knew was a bad thing but now it's working great or i encountered this thing that could have been bad but i did this you taught me how to do and it went so much better and so that is one of the things i offer out there is for paranormal investigative teams if they want to know what they can do before going into a location Mm -hmm. to keep themselves safe so they don't get attachments so that they don't get attacked and that they can communicate with the beings or the the entities that are there in a way that is helpful to their client where they Mm -hmm. can still get the readings that they need they can still make things work but at the same time they can help out everybody that's what my training is all about is paranormal investigators can go into like that insane asylum know how to deal with that egregore, know how to deal with all the little fragmented souls that are in there, leave with all of their results intact, completely free and clear of any attachments, you know, obsessions, and mm-hmm. that they aren't going to have any scratches or bumps or bites on them from anything attacking them because because this is the stuff I've done for a long time and I've just kind of put it together in a class finally. Interesting. Very interesting. You and I should talk more. <laughs> we have a lot in common as far as all that goes. You know, um, I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot in the field the last 20 years. I bet. Um, you, uh, obviously, you teach this stuff. Do mm-hmm. you charge to teach this stuff to paranormal groups? or? Yes. I, I don't have a set price on that one. I've got, I'm putting together a one-hour class because my friend is trying to get me to go to the paranormal conventions. She says the stuff I need really needs to come to these conventions. So I'm going to put together a presentation for there. Uh, right now, I've got a crash course that's about a two-hour, two to three-hour crash course. Probably should be four hours if I'm not really pushing it. But so I'm going to say two to four-hour course, and then I'm also putting together the framework. So this could be a weekend hands-on workshop where we start in the classroom, and then if you've got a location, we can go into the field and mm-hmm. actually do it in the field. Interesting. Let's talk about your Nordic roots now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people are interested in the Norse gods and stuff. And do, do you call on any of the Norse gods to do your work at all? Mm-hmm. Excuse me. The three me. that I work most strongly with is, of course, Odin. Odin is the one who works with runes. He's very good for teaching, for leading, for guiding. So he's really a powerful resource. And just about every time I sit down with a client, 
I'll ask for Odin to help guide my words and my wisdom so that I can be there in the best possible way for my clients. And because I do the paranormal work and because I work with spiritual beings, mm -hmm. I call upon the Norse goddess Hell, spelled H-E-L, not to be confused with the Christian place of eternal torment. She is the goddess of the underworld. She cares for the dead. She nurtures them in the other world. And it's not a place of torment and suffering. And it's, it's not the same Christian hell. It's different. The word hell is uh, the root word for things like hail and, and health and wholeness. So it, her, her name does mean death, but it's death in a sense of health and wholeness. And the other one that I work with is Frere, the Norse god Frere, because he deals with masculine fertility, friendship, prosperity, and he's a really good one to call upon for men issues because I, I do a lot of work with pagan men, pagan and heathen men. I teach a lot of classes on that because that is another area that we're kind of missing. Mm -hmm. And so I call upon Frere to help with the sacred masculine and help men connect with the sacred masculine in a way that makes sense to them. Those are the three primary deities I work with. Very interesting. I mean, still, I, you know, I've, I've done some research on Norse mythology. I've done a lot on Greek mythology, and I've just gotten into like Nor That's why I want to get you on too, because I'm fascinated by by, by that type of mythology. You know, by, by those deities and stuff, and mm -hmm. how they work. Um, is there anybody I know? I know uh, the Greeks have Ares. The Romans have Mars. Is there anybody on the North side that people need to be, be aware of that, that, that are, that are hell raisers? <laughs> well, that depends on how you look at it. Cause yes, I know from what I understand of the tales of Mars and Aries, they, they, mm -hmm. there's some duplicity with that God. Well, in the Norse tradition, some people have tried to correlate Aries and Mars with Tyr. Tyr is the one handed God. He is definitely a God of war. He's a god of like war on the battlefield. When you're right there, the tactics that go on. But he's not despicable. He's There's no duplicity about him. He's very much about personal sacrifice for the greater good, about discipline and training and focus. You know, his star is the North Star because mm -hmm. it's that moral compass that Tyr offers. If there is anything in Norse lore that could have that sense of uh, Hellraiser to it, is the Norse god Loki. Okay. He is the trickster. But if we really carefully read the lore, he's not the trickster that messes things up and causes chaos and destruction and problems. Everything he does in the Norse lore comes out for the benefit of everybody else. Even in like the worst telling where he was responsible for the death of Baldur. Baldur is one of the most loved gods about peace and happiness and joy. Well, Baldur dies. Yes, he goes to hell, Helheim. And through all these circumstances, he's not allowed to leave. However, at Ragnarok, the end of the world, right? Mm -hmm. Baldur is the one of the only deities that survive, that makes it through. And the reason being is because he's in Helheim, because he can sit out the battle. He is Baldur is not a warlike deity. He doesn't fight. He's very pacifistic. And he would be killed instantly during the time of Ragnarok. So Loki, kind of a hellraiser, kind of a tormentor, but seriously, everything he does in the lore helps somebody in some way. Interesting. And like you say, you you end up channeling these people, the, 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 these gods too, when when you're doing your work. Mm -hmm. 
And is that, is, is that only with the runes or is that when you're doing a walkthrough on somebody's house and are you channeling or is that, is that you? No, I've never had a Norse deity show up when working at a person's okay. house. Uh, working at a person's house, it's often whatever the spirit is there. And sometimes okay. it's not a human spirit, but that person will definitely be there communicating. I will call in their guides, their, their whispers or teachers just to help me better understand what's going on. And depending on the person, these things can go everywhere from sort of quiet, mentioning a little bit here or there to like talking over each other, just rambling. And it's like, wow, you guys are overloading me here. <laughs> but yeah, now the, the deities, we keep them in the ritual chamber. We tend to keep those in very special settings. But in the person's home, I try to keep it as personal as we can. We get their guides, we get their spirits, we get their family, their loved ones, and whatever might be in the house. We, we make it as personal as possible. Okay, good. Well, that works, that works. I have a question with the runes. Um, with everything that's going on in the world right now, with COVID, you know, what looks like coming to an end, have you done a reading on the runes to, to see what the future is going to bring us? I actually I haven't done that with the runes, but I did that with the Black Mirror. And? <laughs> and <laughs> The insight that was given was that the course we are on, and this was months ago, the course that we are on cannot be avoided. It is a one-track course. We have to see it through. We have to ride it all the way through the way it is. There's no avoiding it. There's no getting out of it. There's no deviations. The, the course is set, and we have to go through with it. But the choice we make is we can look at everything going on as a state of energy, hmm. as this big swelling building of energy. And you have the choice of getting swept up in it and drowned and pushed under and just squashed away by this energy. Or you could do your inner work. You can do your spiritual work. You can do your own work inside your own mind and your own psyche so that you could ride that wave. You can get on top of the wave and ride that wave into a better state of being into a better state of existence. That's the choices we have is get on top of it or get inundated with it. No matter what it's here and we have to finish its course. Okay. Sounds, sounds perfect. What advice do you have somebody that thinks their, their house might be haunted? Hmm. The very first thing I want you to do is laugh. <laughs> the reason being is if you have a negative or a low-level entity that wants to feed off of fear or anger or any of these other kind of emotions, it's going to poke you with some of that fear energy, let's say. And when you feel that fear energy or you see something move or you have an issue go on, you're going to be like, <gasps> what was that? What was that? But if you stop and you realize what's going on and you just laugh, you're like, oh, wow, that was funny. That's great. And you crinkle your eyes. You want to laugh authentically. So crinkle your eyes when you're laughing. You're disrupting that energy set. If this thing is trying to poke you with fear energy so it could feed off of your fear that you're producing, now you're laughing. What you've just done is poisoned it. This thing doesn't want anything to do with you. And if it's smart enough, it might poke you a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. so you might feel that extra fear. Just ride that fear and go, yeah, that's funny. That's hilarious. You can do this. At the same time, what could happen is what if you do have... I'm just going to make this up, sort of making this up. This is true. What if you have a little boy spirit in the room playing with something and you're laughing? It's not going to chase that little boy spirit away. 
He's going to have a good time with you. He's going to finally go, oh, geez, finally. You're not producing this scary energy. You're not producing these scary thoughts and feelings at me now. You're laughing. We're having a good time. And it's going to change that situation. Which brings us to the second most powerful advice. Change the way you think about it. A lot of us have been trained to be the victim of the paranormal, meaning we see, feel, or experience something in our house. And we're going, oh my God, what are you going to do to me? But if you can stop and realize maybe this is something you could help, somebody you can help, and you change to, oh, you're here. How can I help you? By changing that attitude from, oh my God, what are you going to do to me? To, oh, how can I help you? Will shift the energy dramatically. Will shift the inner actions completely. If you do have a negative, harmful entity in that room and you're going, oh, how can I help you from a compassionate place? This thing is like, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm leaving. I want you to be afraid of me. I want you to be angry. I want you doing this stuff. Not compassionate towards me. So making those two little shifts, laughing or saying, how can I help you? Will dramatically change the paranormal experience you have in your house. Now, do you believe people should um, salt their house and do stuff like that to uh, help get rid of stuff, or, or or do you just think they should just do do what you just said? If it works, it works. I've never mm -hmm. been a real fan of salting or saging or doing the holy water. Yes, it works temporarily. It really will. It will shift that energy. I could come into your house and I could clear it room by room by room with the energy shifting I do. That's great. It works. It clears it. It makes it so much easier. But if we don't go to the root cause, if we don't go to the source, it's all going to come back. And you living in that house are the primary generator of the energy of that house. Mm -hmm. So I will, I will work with everybody that needs a house clearing to shift their perspective to shift their emotional state, their beliefs, and their energy so that it puts them in charge of the energetic environment of their home so that if something were to ever come back, they know what to do about it. And they are primarily the ones responsible for cleansing, clearing, and maintaining the energy hygiene of their house to keep the negative stuff away. I don't Here's do the work. Here's a question. What about someone that lives in an apartment? Because you're, they're surrounded by all this other energy that could be bringing stuff in. I'll teach them shielding techniques. One of the techniques I've got, I've got a, a bunch of guided meditation programs on my website. If you were to go to kedrick.com and click on meditation, one of the things you'll find on there is called Before the Veil. It's about how to set up like for a sacred setting so you can do seance work. And I believe there's another one for clearing negative energies. You'll find a, a guided meditation on there called Setting Sanctuary. And what you do with setting sanctuary is you set sacred space in the room around you. You can do that for your whole apartment so that you're shielding the four walls, the ceiling, and the floor. And then you're continuously reinforcing that energy shield so that the apartments around you, maybe they got the bad juju going on in the apartments around you, but you're living in an energetic oasis because you set that sanctuary for you specifically. Okay, that's interesting. I always wondered about that because... Um, you know, when people call and say they, you know, that they're having problems in their apartment, it, it's a hard thing to deal with because you've got like, you, you could have a hundred units in there and all that. Everybody's got different energy. Some people have negative energy, some, some bad things may be going on, you know, over here or over there. You're trying to shield from that. That's yep. awesome. That's pretty yep. awesome. Um, this has been great. I'm really, this is, I, I, I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you're, you're really easy to talk to. Thank you. Um, 
what do you say to people that might be living with someone that's psychic in the house mm. and they don't have control of their abilities? This happens, what we were talking about with the poltergeist, exactly mm. what you were saying earlier about poltergeist is a poltergeist is not necessarily an entity in the house. It is somebody in the house with telekinetic abilities who is not able to express their emotions in a healthy and safe way. And because they can't express it, it's building up inside and that energy needs to release somehow. And that energy will release as poltergeist activity. So what uh, we'll, we'll work with people and sometimes I may not be the right person to do it. I am trained with transpersonal counseling. I am trained for transpersonal hypnotherapy so I can help to a certain point. But ultimately what has to happen is everybody needs to have a safe way to release their emotions, to express their emotions, to say what needs to be said. Because quite often when we see a poltergeist and I call it a poltergeist effect, it's because there's an adolescent in the house, usually an adolescent female. And what's going on is we've got all those hormones raging in their body. They've got all of that energy and that emotion going on in there. But mom and dad are like going, oh, just shut up and go back to your room. I don't want to hear it. Children should be seen and not heard. I don't want to deal with this stuff. Don't tell me about your imaginary friend anymore. And meanwhile, that kid's going, <gasps> you know, which is often why I hate to say it, but it's usually the father ends up with the scratches because that's the poltergeist. That is that child releasing that telekinetic energy going, I need to let this out. So we have to create a safe environment for those emotions to be expressed in a healthy way. And then you'll watch that paranormal activity just descend dramatically as that emotion can get released and expressed in a good way. You know, what's fascinating. A lot of people don't realize this, you know, that they knew about this stuff even back in the thirties, mm -hmm. because if you, if you watch the Waltons and I came across it by accident, there's, there's a um, episode called the changeling mm. where Elizabeth is turning to 12, between 12 and 13 and things start happening in the house and they don't know how to deal with it. Radios are turning on and off. I mean, so stuff like that. Stuff's flying. Rocks are falling through the window. And it turns out that uh, Corbeth Godsey knows about it. And that's how they figure out what, what's going on with her, that, that she's doing poltergeist activity. So if you guys want a good, it's a really good episode. So if you guys are interested in, in seeing how that worked, you know, like like what he's saying and, and how, how, did, how they dealt with it and whatnot, it's a good episode to watch. It's called The Changeling. Is that the episode where the girls are talking to each other and they say the ghost will eat your mouth off first so that you can't scream? I don't I don't know. I can't remember. I can't remember. I, it might be. I remember one of those ghost episodes from Little House on the Prairie and that always gave me a chuckle when I thought about that. <laughs> but it was interesting to find that Walt is one. In fact, I used to have a DVR for clients, you know, who had who had uh, kids that were going to in their teen years. And I'd be like, no, 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 it's nothing to be afraid of. Look here. They had it back in the 30, 1930s when, you know, when they knew about this stuff, you know? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. This stuff has been around for a long time. This is why I would say trust folk wisdom. You know, mm -hmm. we, we talk about different cultures and upbringing can give us some information that we need to, to work with. But if we go to some of the old folk traditions, they kind of had a bead on what was going on and ways to, to solve it. And to our modern, logical, rational mind, we're going to look at that and go, huh, uh, uh. But if you try it out and you try it out with a spirit of an open mind and authenticity mm -hmm. to see what goes on, you might be surprised just how that stuff works favorably. You know, we were talking about the different deities earlier. 
And going back to my teens, I always felt that there was one deity over everything. But, okay, and then, 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 then there were the co-deities, right? You know, mm -hmm. you know, like you talked about the Norse gods, the Greek gods. Mm -hmm. So my thought was always there, there, there still is one deity over, over everything, but each culture makes that deity in its own image. Yes. That is absolutely true. That's why I love the term parapsychology. Mm -hmm. You cannot remove psychology from the whole paranormal experience. And you're right. If there is, and this is just my thinking, if there is one overarching deity, one overarching creative force, I would say that would be the collective unconscious of humanity. We can experience that as this powerfully creative deity. And it is from that collective unconsciousness where we create all of those other subset of deities, those other hypostases. And sometimes a deity can actually be an ascended being, like a human being that achieved a higher state of existence mm -hmm. or being, and I, I will say other beings in different dimensions, maybe other planets, yeah, I know, maybe. But I have encountered high, high level beings that were not human generated at all. They were definitely high level beings and I have no other way to describe them than ascended masters or ascended beings of some kind. But people in different cultures would look at them and go, wow, that's a god. That's a deity. And like, sure, why not? Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I've always felt over the years. There's something else that was, oh, I know. Um, somebody had done a study. I want to ask you what you thought of this. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we were talking about how, how your mind can, can, can create stuff. Mm-hmm. Negative stuff. Um, a couple friends of mine who were EVP experts over the years, Constantinos, I think, had a theory about a lot of EVPs that 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 people were getting as, as ghost hunters. That in a lot of ways that they were creating these EVPs in, in their mind, and that's what was coming through on the recording. Do you think I that's think, possible? Yes, I think it's all very possible. I do think that there are beings out there that can manipulate the electromagnetic frequencies in such a way mm -hmm. that it can come across through the tape head and through the, the tape recording. I do think they can work with sound because I've heard them. I've actually heard spirits talking. And I, mm -hmm. I know that would get recorded on the tape. And I have no doubt the manifestation potential of humanity is incredible and, and massive. I don't remember his name and I don't know if it was ever debunked, but there was a guy who could project images onto a camera, onto the film of a camera, and they would would develop it and it would be actual pictures there. Now, I don't know if he'd been debunked or not, but to me, that makes sense. If this guy can make images on a camera, then we can create EVP for sure. I was thinking that because there's, there's one particular restaurant in... I'm trying to remember if it was Folsom or I think it's Folsom here locally. I mean, not locally, but I mean, 20 miles up the hill. Um, there's one particular restaurant where there never was a ghost there. But because they kept telling the story, you know, the, the legend itself, the people that would go in there would believe this legend and the ghost hunters that would go in there would believe this legend and they created this ghost. Yes. That's in this restaurant. So that's yeah. interesting to hear from you, you know, to hear from you about stuff like that. Yep, that would be an egregore, and I would have no doubt that that egregore would be able to create EVP, just like everything else could. Yep, absolutely. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. You know what? Thank you so much. This was fa <laughs> this was fantastic. Thank you, too. I really enjoyed this. We had a great discussion. You have really good questions, and I like where we could go with all this stuff. Thank you. Thank you, and I would love to have you on again at some point to talk more. And maybe Definitely. Get some 
just do some rune readings for people later on or something along the line. But, you know, just, just, to, just to get you on. Hey, if, if anybody wants to buy runes, you know, so they can start studying, working with runes, where can they get them? You know, I usually have people make their own. But uh, I guess you can buy them on Amazon. Go to your local, go to your local metaphysical store. Help support mm -hmm. the local mom and pop shops. They're, they definitely have them there. And there's a lot of local artisans making them. And Etsy. I've seen some pretty amazing sets on Etsy to get runes. Okay, cool. And how can people get your book? Oh, my book is available everywhere. Hopefully at your local metaphysical store. Uh, Amazon's got it. It was published through Wiser. So anywhere Wiser sells books, you can grab, grab my book there. All right. Well, thank you very much. And again, I'd love to have you on, on another date and talk more to you if that's okay. That would be wonderful. This was a great time and I would look forward to doing that. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. You have a good rest of the evening. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. <laughs> okay, guys, that was a great show. I thought I really, 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 really enjoyed that show. Um, again, I've got some announcements to make. If you like the show, as usual, I'm going to give you the spiel. If you like the show, share it with four or five people that you know, because we're trying to get the word out. We're trying to get our, get our numbers up here. If you didn't like the show, share it anyway. Share it with your enemies. But um, moving on from that, um, I have created a t-shirt. It's got a really cool logo on the back. You're going to like it. Um, California Haunts Radio Course. Uh, but uh, on the front, it's got, it's got a little logo on the front, too, for you guys. And what this is is that uh, I spend a lot of time putting my guests together and getting my guests. I could use a little help from you guys. So anybody that's able to suggest guests that I actually have on the air, I will give you a free t-shirt. Okay, and what I will do is when when that person is on the air, I will show you the T-shirt. I will tell you know I will tell everybody who who suggested the guest, and I will actually put the T-shirt on the desk next to me. I'm not going to put it on ew 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 to send a T-shirt that somebody's worn ew. So um, I I will put it off to the side so you can see it. You know, or up over the back, even even the back of my chair back here, right? And if I if I use your your suggested guest, I will go ahead and send you a T-shirt. So that's pretty fair, pretty cool. Then you could advertise some more for us. I'm glad you guys joined us tonight, and I love this guest. I can't wait to talk to him again. And Wednesday, we're going to have a blast. One of our favorite guests is coming in, one of our buddies, the Coca-Cola man himself, Larry Jorgensen's coming in. He had asked to come on before the, the Indy 500 to talk about Coca-Cola, and so he is going to be coming on on Wednesday at 625, you know, 630, 625 start time. And uh, one of the reasons that I'm excited to have him is, is one of our listeners, Pamela, and her husband were out uh, driving around Wisconsin, and they, they went into a little stop and shop, and they came across, and I don't know how this would taste because, you know, but uh, they came across Coca-Cola flavored Tic Tacs, and they sent me a photo of these Tic Tacs, so I want to run that by Larry and see, and see what he has to say about the Coca-Cola flavored Tic Tacs. So I can't wait to get Larry on here. We can have a nice, good talk with him. The following Monday, um, I did that show where I talked about a lot of the local haunts around this area and in the Gulf Country. Well, we're going to be talking about them again, but Karen Clark has agreed to come on the show. And so uh, uh, at, at one time, she was our lead field sensitive. Um, she's had some uh, health problems, so she hasn't been out in the field, but she's uh, she'll be coming on to talk about some of those cases that I was talking about and some of the stuff she's run into while we were on investigations. So I'll be looking for that for Monday's show. Anyway, I'm glad you guys came by tonight, and uh, I will see you on Wednesday, okay? 
and uh, have a good evening. In fact, hang on, don't go anywhere yet. I got some stuff to show you here. I'm running slow tonight. In fact, I'd like you to be able to visit our guest website. So there you go there. If you want to get some of those meditations he was talking about. And there we go. Write that down, guys. And here's where you can get his book.